Good morning and welcome. My name is Justin. I serve as the student minister here. And this morning we're going to be talking about youth ministry, but the specific context of youth ministry that happens within the family at home, uh, which is like 98% of your kids' adolescent experience. They, they may come to youth group, and they may be, even if they're incredibly involved in our youth ministry here or at any other church, the majority of their time and spiritual development is going to happen at home. So as I was planning this, uh, this message on um, youth ministry, I, I just kept going back to parenting. And, and it, it just seemed really clear that we needed to uh, address parenting today. Um, and before we get started, there's two disclaimers. Actually, three things I want you to be aware of. Two of them are disclaimers. The first uh, is that if you're not a a parent or a student, this, this stuff still applies to you. The scripture and the message of Jesus still applies to you. So you can take youth ministry or parenting out and plug in whatever your situation is. Like if you're in college, then you can plug in all the challenges uh, that come with being in college or whatever life stage it is. Uh, the second thing is that I know that parenting is a really sensitive subject. Um, it's, and it's painful, it's challenging, it's an uphill climb, and there's no, I, I don't want to minimize any of the challenges that people face as parents of uh, teenagers or parents of grown adults. So um, I want to be clear that, that I understand that it's not that simple. Uh, personally, my wife and I have had like the hardest week ever in parenting our kids, and our oldest is only five. And, and that's, it's funny, but it's genuinely been challenging. I literally was wrestling one of our kids up there uh, trying to get them to go to crew worship last week um, because we're deeply convicted that we want them to be involved and that they don't get to just choose, like, I feel like this or I don't feel like that. And I, I did a terrible job handling that as a parent. And I'm thinking, like, I'm, I'm literally wrestling with my kid and I'm thinking, I'm preaching next week about <laughs> parenting. And, and I was probably making as much of a scene as my child was. And so I, I just want to lay that out there that um, this is a messy subject and uh, th that we feel for you. And if you have a 5-year-old or a 15-year-old or a 55-year-old, uh, I, I get it. So third thing, just real quick. I've got a lot of scripture references this morning. So, uh, and we're going to be going to Luke 5. So if you want to be in our main scripture, turn to Luke 5. The other scriptures, all of the scriptures are going to be on the screen. So you can just, in your notes, write the reference down if you want to be um, studying this stuff later. But we're going to be going to so many scriptures that Luke 5 is the, the only one that you need to camp out in. And you can just write the, uh, the other references in the margin there. So I wanted to share a couple experiences from my childhood which as an adult with kids this age, I'm looking back on these experiences and thinking, I'm thinking about how my parents felt and um, viewed themselves as they wrestled with me through these different things. So the first one, I was, um, it was before I could remember this, so I've only heard the stories of this. I think I was about three or four. But apparently I thought that it would be a good idea to wake up before mom and dad and go down and make breakfast. And, and mom always made biscuits, so I thought, I'm going to make biscuits, but since I love mom and dad so much, I'm going to do something really special. We're going to make candy biscuits this morning. And my mom came down a few minutes later, and what she found was I was covered in flour, and the, the ground was covered in two gallons of milk, 
and there was gingerbread candy sprinkled all throughout it. And I don't know what happened, like I blacked out or something, and that's what she came down to. And my mom, full of the Holy Spirit, took me to my friend's house for the day so that I would, I would escape her wrath, right? And as parent, if you're a parent of a young child, uh, you're not alone. And um, if you're a parent of an older kid, you may realize, like, hey, the, the, it only gets harder. You know, like, that's frustrating and it's a mess to clean up, but the challenges later on are, are even more difficult. One of these other challenges that comes later on happened when I was about nine. I played baseball, played Little League, and I was actually one of the better players. And we had a father-son baseball game. The, the team played all the dads uh, of the team. And the dads had to bat opposite-handed. So, like, if you're right-handed, the dad would bat left-handed. And um, I was pitching. And the dads were blowing us away. We were losing, like, 15 to 0. And run rule was not an option. So we're down. There's guys on base. My dad comes up to bat, and he was not a good baseball player. No offense, Dad. But he gets up to bat, and I think, okay, here's an easy out. Just got to throw strikes. Like, he's, he's not going to be able to hit me. I pitch to him, and he hits a stand-up triple. And he's rounding the bases, and I'm just dying inside. It was the last straw for me. Stand-up triple, the ball comes into the third baseman, and I was overcome with rage. I'm not kidding you. I run over to him, and I'm trying to push him off the base, even though that's not how this works. <laughs> it's funny now, but I'm trying to push him off the base. I start throwing punches. You know, I'm like this tall, and I'm, I'm getting into him. And he's standing there just taking it like, what, what do you, I got the triple, you can't move me. And my mom is in the stands like, I don't know whose kid that is. Like, <laughs> he doesn't act like that at home. And, you know, 30, 20 years later, it's funny, but it was really embarrassing. And, and looking back, I'm like, oh, that's, that's pretty bad. Like, I thought I had better self-control than that. And my parents really did raise me better than that. But parents have these experiences where... They're looking at their kid, and they're like, That's, I don't know whose kid that is. Like, we, we've truly trained them better than that, and I don't know why he's doing that. And it gets more difficult as children get older. Um, and the challenge laid before parents is great. God made us in his own image, and he made our kids in his image, and he's given parents the, um, the stewardship of raising these little people that are growing up already in his image and becoming more like him. And if Satan can get a foothold in there, then he can do a lot of damage. And I'm convinced that Satan lies to us about all kinds of things, about our own identity, but specifically in parenting, he's going to try to get a foothold and he's going to try to get you off balance. He's going to try to get you out of the game. And so I thought of a few lies that I have uh, experience myself and a few lies that I've seen other people experience as parents. And again, if you're not a parent, these apply to you also, but specifically today we're speaking on parent, parenting and youth ministry. So uh, I'm going to get into these lies. Uh, the first of the lies, as a parent, you think that if you do everything right, I can engineer the, the perfect child. It's almost like a Lego set. You're like, no red dye 40, no sugar. We're going to go to bed on time. We're going to have a consistent schedule. I didn't know about any of this. And, my, and then my wife is like, why are you feeding our kid red food? And I'm like, I didn't know red was bad. And she's like, it's toxic. But, but especially parents of first kids are like, 
we've, we've got to do everything right, and we're very type A, and you think that if we pray with our kid every night, if we read them the Bible, if we take them to church regularly, if you get them in this rhythm, then they're going to know Jesus. And all those things are good. It's good to have a rhythm. It's good to put in the work and the effort and the intentionality of it. But sometimes we mistake being intentional and working hard with getting everything right and engineering and and having control over something. And parents of older kids and grown kids can testify that their kids make their own decisions. And whether they did what they wanted them to in life or not. They, they realized that their kids, somewhere along the way, they realized my son or my daughter is autonomous and they can make their own decisions. And here's the truth behind the first lie. Um, you can't do everything right. You, you can't get it all right. In fact, not only does your kid have autonomy, but you do too and you are broken. We are broken. So believing that you can engineer and and produce a perfect product is misleading because we ourselves are broken. We've got to look to an outside source, which we'll get to, to help us raise but not engineer kids. Um, Matthew 11, 28-30, Jesus says, Come to me, all ye who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I think a lot of times as parents, we think, when we, can engin- we think that we can engineer the perfect child, and we're putting all these burdens on our shoulders that are not meant for us to bear. Jesus is saying, take my burden because it's easy. And as parents, we need to know that if we're connected to Jesus, That's the right way to parent. It's not getting all these things perfect. So lie number two, I'm not qualified. So the first one, the first lie is that if I do all these things perfect, everything will be okay. The second lie is that, hey, I don't know what I'm doing. Like, uh, some of you are new Christians, and so you're trying to raise your kid to know Jesus, and you're looking at all these other Christians who have been Christians their whole lives, and you're wondering if you have what it takes. Um, I remember when I was in college, uh, there was a tractor on the farm that I worked at, and the farmer said, who knows how to drive a tractor? And I wanted to get out of the sun, and I didn't know how to drive a tractor, and so I said, I can drive a tractor. And, and I, he's like, okay, Justin, I need you to take the tractor and, and get the front loader, and we're going to load up all this mulch and go down to this field. And so I get in the tractor, and it's this big tractor with dual wheels. You know, they're like six feet tall. It's this huge tractor. And there's like 15 levers all around me and buttons and knobs and gauges. And I'm like, okay, I thought this would be more like a car. Like, I'm, I'm imagining like part, reverse, neutral drive. But there's all kinds of levers. It's like a spaceship except more dirty. And I, I just start pulling levers, and it's doing everything except go forward. And so some of us, as first time, especially parents, you're like, you feel like you're in this situation, and there's so many things going on, and you don't know what to do. And Satan is going to try to convince you that you don't have what it takes to do all the things that you need to do as a parent. Uh, but the contrary is true. I want to share three scriptures with you as to why you are qualified. Um, Excuse me. The truth is that you are qualified and God has qualified and equipped you. Uh, So here's the the three scriptures that back that up. 
2 Peter 1, 3 says, His divine power has given us everything. Underline that if you're, uh, if you're in your text. But has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of Him who has called us by His own glory and goodness. Everything means everything. Like it, it, God has given you everything you need for life and for parenthood. Next scripture, Ephesians 2.10 says, for we, and in this case you, are God's handiwork. You're created in Christ Jesus to do good works. He made you to do good, which God prepared in advance for us to do. God knew that you were going to be a parent long before you ever even planned to become a parent. And he has made you, like Jesus, to be a good parent long before that. Third scripture, Colossians 1.12. And giving joyful thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light, okay? God has qualified us to share in this great thing that is bigger than ourselves, this kingdom of light. And Jesus says the kingdom is not just coming, but it is at hand. The kingdom is here, and it is, uh, it's expanding, if you will. And so the kingdom right now is not just something that we're looking forward to when we go to heaven, but the kingdom is in your family. It's in your marriage. And he has qualified you for everything that that entails. That doesn't mean you're going to get everything right. That doesn't mean you're going to be perfect, like number one we talked about. It does mean that in Christ, you're qualified. Lie number three, and this is a very broad one, so work with me here. But if only blank, and you can fill in whatever you want with the, in the blank, but if only I had done this better, in the past. If only I had not done this, or whatever it is. If only I had prayed more with my kid. If only I had taken them to church more when they were younger. If only I had done a better job controlling my temper with my child. If only I had been more encouraging, if I had spent more time with them. If only I hadn't let my child watch SpongeBob, then this would have been a better situation. But Satan wants to keep you fixed on the things that you did in the past or the things you didn't do in the past. Here's the truth. With God, all things are possible. Okay? Now, also a very broad thing. There's a broad lie, like if only you'd done this better in the past or if, if only you had not done this in the past. But that is putting the qualification on you and not God. But Jesus in... Uh, Matthew 19 says this, and this is, he's talking about money here, but this applies to parenting too. Jesus says, truly I tell you, it's hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Okay, that's a high bar, right? And so the disciples come to him and they're like, okay, where's the line, right? Okay, can we, be th- can we have this much money and still go to heaven? So the disciples heard this. They said, they were astonished and said, okay, who can be saved? Like, where is the line? And Jesus says, with this, uh, with man it's impossible, but with God all things are possible. Like, wh- where's the line of how much money we can have and still get into heaven? And Jesus is like, it's impossible, but with God it's possible. Like, can you be a good parent on your own? No, we all know that. We've, we've experienced parent. If you've been a parent for more than three minutes, you know that you don't know what's going on. It's like in the tractor. It's, I, I don't know. It's crazy. But 
but the mystery and the miracle is that with God, it is possible. He's equipped you with everything you need for life and godliness in his kingdom. Uh, let's see, what's next? Um, there's a couple if-only statements we make, right? So the, the lie at, the, at first was, if only I had done this better. But I see a couple if-only statements in Scripture that kind of direct us back to where our focus needs to be, and that's on Jesus. The first if-only statement comes from John eleven twenty one. Lord, Martha, uh, Martha said to Jesus, if or if only, if you had been there, my brother wouldn't have died. She's looking in the past. She's like, Jesus is the answer, but she feels like it's too late. But then she comes back with a statement of faith, and she says, but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Even though he's already dead, the ship has sailed, the world thinks that the game is over, Satan thinks that he's won, you'll give what you, uh, God will give what you ask. Okay, the second if statement from Matthew 9, there's this woman who's been chronically ill her whole life. And she says, if only I just touch his cloak, if I can just get, if I can just get in Jesus' presence and, and contact him, then his holiness will infect me and abolish my infirmity. And, and isn't that the attitude that we need to have for ourselves and for our children is like, if only I can get in the presence of Jesus and be healed. Because with man, it's impossible. Like there's all these crazy difficulties and challenges and complications. It's messy being a parent. But Jesus clears things up when you get in his presence. If you could just touch him, if you just have contact with him, it changes everything. Um, okay, fourth lie. I can't parent, I can't do this because I still blank. And I'm not talking about like a secret sin here. I'm talking about like the challenges that you have as an imperfect person, okay? I can't be a good parent because I still have a temper, because I still blow up and get mad, and it presents challenges. I can't be a good parent because I'm lazy. Like it's just hard to, to be consistent and do the things that I need to do. I can't parent because I'm depressed, and this cloud is over me, and I feel... I feel separated, and it, I can't parent. I, I can't handle my own stuff, let alone be a parent and and someone strong for my kids. I can't because I'm anxious, and that clouds you the same way that depression may. Uh, I can't parent my kids I, because I'm disorganized. How can I help them be organized and upright when I myself am disorganized? Okay, here's the truth. God's power is made perfect in your weakness. This is, you, some of y'all know where this is going. This is something Paul said uh, to the Corinthians. He says, I was given this thorn in the flesh. So because of these surpassingly great revelations, therefore, in order to keep from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me. That sounds terrible. Like Satan is literally tormenting Paul somehow. He doesn't say specifically what it is, but Satan is tormenting Paul, trying to get him out of the race, trying to get him to quit. And he says, I, I begged God. I pleaded three times with God to take this away. But God answers him and says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. So Paul says, I'm going to boast in my weakness because that's how I know Christ's power rests on me. So as, as parents, 
as individuals, we have these thorns in the flesh. We have these things that we're, we're going to have to deal with the rest of our lives. And we, we beg God to take it away. And he doesn't do anything. Brandon did a great job this summer preaching on, on, on how this works and how, what it's like, what God does in your life when he doesn't change whatever is challenging you and making your life more difficult and how God's power is made perfect in your weakness. But there's two options here. One, your, your child could look at you and see a perfect person who never has any problems, who's perfectly organized, at least on the outside, and think, there's no hope for me because I have challenges. Or they could look at a broken parent who acknowledges their brokenness and their sin and their pain and their challenge. And they could see the way you're redeemed by Jesus and being transformed by his grace every day on an ongoing level. You're walking in step with the Spirit and you have joy that the world does not have. You have a peace that the world does not have. And you love other people the way Jesus did. In spite of the fact that you're hurting and you're broken and you still deal with the effects of this world. And your kid can look at you and the testimony that you give by your life and say, well, if there's hope for mom then there's hope for me. There's hope for dad, even though he's, he did that and he's wrestling with that, then there's hope for me. We may be worried that, that they're going to call us hypocrites. But I think that if we're honest with our kids and we're honest with the fact that Jesus is our only hope and being in his presence is our only hope, then our kids are going to find much more satisfaction and comfort in life in that than being perfect on our own. Line number five, speaking of doing things on our own, am I cutting out? Good. Line number five, I can do this on my own. Satan is going to try to get you to stay on your own and just do it yourself. And I think the funniest thing a child has ever said is I can do this on my own. It's like their, their shoes look like this. And you're like, hey, would you like help tying your shoes? And they're like, no, absolutely not. I, I, clearly I have this. And you're sitting there like, okay, we'll, we'll wait, I'll wait. Go ahead, tie your shoes. And I think sometimes as parents, we have these knotted up shoes, that, this complicated, messy life, and God is standing there, and he's like, would you like help? And we're like, no, 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 I got it. I'm an American. Like, clearly I can succeed on my own. <laughs> and the truth is that you can't do anything on your own. And this is really personal for me, because I want to just muscle my way through everything. I want to muscle my way through my problems. I want, to, I want to leverage my strengths. And I want to be successful because of me. But the more you think about it, that you don't have anything from your own work. You've only been able to leverage things that you've been given by outside sources. Scripture says that every good and perfect gift has come from above. Like every intellectual gift you have is from the way God made you. Every physical gift you have is from the way God made you. Everything that you've learned along the way of your life has been given to you from other people. And the only thing that you had to do with it was that you had open, open hands to receive it well. And the truth is that you can't do anything on your own. We, we learned everything from outside sources, and it all comes from God, every good thing. So uh, here's three things on not being able to do things yourself. Doing things alone is one of the most dangerous things you can buy into. But three scriptures, 
First is 2 Peter 2.9 says, but you're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, focus on these three things, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. This is beautiful. But look at the language at the beginning, a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. It doesn't say a, a holy club, it doesn't say a, like a little town, a little municipality. He, he says it's a holy nation of God's people. There's no individuality involved in that at all. Second scripture, about not doing things on your own, Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 10. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If one falls down, the other can help him up. But pity the one who falls and has no one to help him up. So like if you're parenting and you're going through a rough patch and then you reach out to somebody who's already in relationship with you, they're probably going to say it's going to be okay and we've dealt with that before and it's honestly not the end of the world. And then you're going to realize from their testimony that it's not the end of the world and you can continue to find strength in God despite your challenge. But what if you don't have somebody with you and you fall? The problem isn't even that big of a deal, but Satan keeps lying to you and telling you this is the end of the world. You're a terrible parent. You've messed up. You can't fix it. You should try to do it on your own. Third scripture, Genesis 2.18, just from the very beginning, God said it's not good for man to be alone. I'll make a helper suitable for him. He, he planned us in pairs. And beyond that, it says, it says the two will become one flesh. And I believe that those one flesh parent uh, partners need to be in connection with other parents, right? This holy nation, this royal priesthood that's united and bound together in Christ. In college, I got my truck stuck, and I thought I could get out on my own, so I just kept flooring it, and I just back in, kept sinking deep and deeper and deeper into the mud. So somebody came to pull me out, and they got stuck. Somebody came to pull us out, and they got stuck. So now, now we're three trucks deep in the mud. Finally, somebody came out and said, there's no way you're going to do this without getting somebody that's on the pavement to pull you out because they were just driving into the mud. So we went to Tractor Supply and bought like 300 feet of tow rope. Still have it. It was really expensive. <laughs> somebody pulled these four trucks out from the road, but it was only because I had reached out to somebody else. Like there's, there's four guys involved here, four units, but it was this community that made this possible to get out. And so if, if you want to say, hey, I'm going to do this myself, then you're then you're in trouble. But if you say, I'm going to do this with a community, then there's hope. Um, all right, now Luke 5, healing of the paralytic. It says, one day Jesus was teaching, and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and from, from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Okay, I'm going to pause right there. I'm going to pick that up in a second. But Imagine this. Jesus is in town. He's teaching at someone's house. It's probably free to be there. Everybody knows. And Jesus has been doing his ministry for a while now so that you know that Jesus has the power and the authority to heal the sick. And he's been teaching these radical things and he's been changing people's lives. And you've heard all these rumors about him. But finally, he's in the area and you get the chance to go listen to him speak. So you get up early, you get your coffee, and you get your journaling Bible, and you get childcare, and you show up to hear Jesus speak. You get, you get a spot early at, at Jesus' feet, and it's transforming your life. And then you hear something up on the roof, 
and like some of the dust from the ceiling starts to come down, and you realize that someone's not, not only up there, but they're moving the ceiling tiles, and you're like, man, this is packed. People are going to be listening from the roof. That's cool. But then you realize they're not just listening from the roof. They're lowering down this guy. So that's where we are now. Uh, some men carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus, but they couldn't find a way to do it because of the crowd. When they went up on the roof and lowered him on his on, uh, then they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. So you thought this was going to be a cool Bible lesson? It's gotten even better. Somebody came through the roof. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, "Friend, your sins are forgiven." The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, "Who is this who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone?" Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk? But, so that you know that, I, that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had, and went home praising God. Okay? This guy was paralyzed. And he heard Jesus was coming to town, probably. And I don't know what happened outside of what's laid out in Luke 5 here, but I wonder if he heard that Jesus was coming to town and he thought, I'm not going to be able to make it. It's going to be busy and I can't walk. Paralyzed. Sounds pretty hopeless, right? Like you're one chance to be healed and you can't walk. How crushing is that? And I don't know what his relationship with his friends were. I don't, I don't know, maybe they grew up together. Maybe they had just met the day before. Maybe they were almost total strangers and they saw a paralyzed guy and they thought, this is his chance. But for whatever reason, they were in relationship and they banded together and they brought him to Jesus and he found healing, even in a place where he had thought it was hopeless. His whole life, unable to walk. But then Jesus shows up. Jesus doesn't just show up, but his friends were willing to bring him to Jesus. So, do you have friends like that? And this applies to the youth group too. Do you have friends that are going to bring you to Jesus? Do you have, if you're a parent, do you have other parents who are going to be with you in a community to bring you to Jesus? And in that wavelength, do you have friends that you can bring to Jesus when they need it? Are you the person that is not only helping your friends, your friends and their kids, but are you helping their kids? Like this is, this is a network of people united in Christ, right? It's not just a one-way relationship with our kids. Um, so to everyone who's hurting, whether a parent or not, to everyone who's fighting the battle alone and being told that they should keep fighting that battle alone, to everybody who's parenting a strong-willed child that doesn't want to go to crew worship, uh, to everybody who is the, the child of a strong-willed parent, to everybody who has regrets and feels inadequate, could be crippled by a thorn in the flesh, here's my words to you. Go to Jesus, go with other people, or take somebody with you. And remember what Jesus says this paralyzed man. He says, your sins are forgiven. Get up. As long as our, our focus is on ourselves, we're going to b believe these lies that tell us 
that hope is not possible. But if our focus goes to Jesus, then even in the most hopeless situations, we find life and forgiveness and healing. So I'm going to invite Craig Prather up. He's one of our shepherds. One of the specific ways that Craig is ministering to this church family right now is he's working with the young families uh, in our second hour class here. And so I thought uh, he would be a great person to pray, uh, not only for our students, but for our families and for everybody as they continue to um, build this network of a body of believers, people united in Christ uh, to support each other. So would you pray for everybody? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this congregation. Father, thank you for the support groups that we have. Father, thank you for the parents of this congregation that love you, that always seek your wisdom. Father, I pray a special blessing over the parents. Father, I pray that your spirit will fill their hearts. Father, I pray that your wisdom will flow. And Father, I pray that your strength is unending as we uh, do the scary thing of raising children. And Father, I pray that we will always ask you for guidance. Father, I pray that we will remember that we know you, we know you love us, and following you into an unknown future future can be a blessing. Father, I pray that you will protect the marriages of these families. I pray that you will keep Satan away. Father, I pray for strength. Give us your strength to always, always know the right thing. Father, I pray that You will help us to feel your love. When we think we fail as parents, Father, I pray that you will lift us up. Father, I pray that you will give us, give our children other adults in their lives that they can can lean on. And most of all, Father, thank you for sending Jesus Christ. Thank you for providing a way for us to be with you. And Father, I just ask that you bless our children. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.